Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Three, two, one. But I've worked it out. I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer Jim Calhoun. NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone. Here. Welcome in, everybody. We. We. The Air Tour Sports Podcast. It is Monday, September 27th. 2021 people and i got myself a little bit of a conundrum that conundrum i'm too good at my job i'm too good at my job and let me explain why the biggest stories coming out of college football it was another awesome saturday the biggest stories though realistically were probably outside of arkansas steamrolling texas a&m the biggest stories were uh clemson stinks oklahoma stinks and we're going to get ourselves a crazy college football playoff except here's the thing I talked about those things last week. I led the show by talking about a crazy college football playoff. I led the show by talking about how bad Clemson, Ohio State, Oklahoma were. So I don't want to just repeat last week's episode. So we'll go in a little bit of a different direction. We'll talk Clemson, Oklahoma at the end. But they are no less stinky. They smell like rotten fish. Awful teams those teams are. Uh, We'll talk about them later. But this is what I want to talk about to lead the show. We'll start very quickly. Uh, Notre Dame, listen, Brian Kelly, what he is doing is incredible. I don't care what you think of Notre Dame. I am going to explain to you why. First of all, this guy became the all-time winningest coach in Notre Dame football history on Saturday, which is absolutely insane to think about. And I also just think when I start to lay out what he has done, his record against everybody not named Alabama and Clemson, you're going to appreciate this guy in a different way. And more important, you're going to appreciate the fact that this guy in this era in college football, I don't think Notre Dame should be as good as they are in this era of college football when everybody's on TV, when everybody has money, when everybody recruits nationally. There is no reason that Notre Dame should be this good. So we'll talk about Notre Dame. We will then take a quick break, transition to that Arkansas beatdown, big pig invasion, baby, steamroll Texas A&M. What does it mean for Arkansas as they head into another massive game this weekend against Georgia? Obviously, we'll hit a little bit on it from the A&M perspective. Then we'll wrap on a few other topics from the weekend. Uh, Clemson being really bad will definitely be one of them. Oklahoma being really bad, one of them. On and on and on and on and on. Before we get to Notre Dame, though, before we get to all the big topics of the day, I do have a quick announcement that I just want to get out there. Uh, You may have seen it on my social media feeds, but uh, we do have an announcement as it pertains to the Aaron Torres podcast and as it pertains to the media uh, company that I started, and that is this. 
we have signed our first official sponsor, our first official advertiser, our first official partner, and that is DraftKings and DraftKings Sportsbook. And so I'll get into all the details in a minute, and certainly over the coming weeks, I will get you guys updated on what giveaways they have, what special promos they have specifically for the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. That's not really what today is about, though. Today is about uh, really thanking you, because this announcement is as much about you guys as it is about me, and so let me explain. DraftKings Sportsbook is now the official sportsbook of Aaron Torres Media, of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, the college football betting podcast that I do, all the other podcasts, and of course, over the coming days, weeks, months, you will see a ton of uh, DraftKings promos and specials on my Twitter feed, on the Facebook feed, if you follow Aaron Torres Writer, uh, Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram. So we're going to see a lot of DraftKings stuff here in the coming days. Obviously, if you're not a gambler, I get it, don't feel pressured, etc., But, you know, sports gambling is getting big. New states are being added every couple months. And so we are now very much in that sports gambling space. Now, first of all, what I would say, nothing really changes for this podcast. This is not a, you know, you know, a gambling podcast. We will make our picks on Fridays. We will have a couple more ad promos. But again, outside of, you know, doing a couple ad reads, maybe every Friday going into the college football weekend, not a lot has changed here. So this isn't going to be a gambling show. If you're not into gambling, I'm not going to start, you know, the Bears minus seven against the Browns. What does it mean? That's not what this is about. It is simply about a sports book trying to reach a new audience, a sports book trying to find dedicated fans of dedicated, you know, TV personalities, radio personalities, podcast personalities. Uh, And I am, in this case, that person along with the people that work for me at Aaron Torres Media. Now, I bring it up because I want to add one other caveat to that. Uh, I got this deal in large part because of you guys and because of the, the... support that you guys have given to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast over the last couple days, last couple of years, excuse me. Um, I was blown away. I'll be honest, you know, I obviously had a few conversations with a few different places, but when I got on the phone with DraftKings, right away, they knew who I was, what my background was, what I did, uh, and what, you know, what, 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 what I've done in my career, okay? They knew about the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. They knew about the success of this show. They knew about some of the guests that we have had, and they knew that coming to this show meant they were going to reach a big, diverse, fun audience that clearly loves sports, obviously with an emphasis on college sports, uh, and that more importantly, um, you know, a dedicated audience that, that, that would be interested in their product. And so it's no different than any other advertising deal anywhere else. Without you guys, this would not be possible. And so I don't want to spend too much time belaboring the point. We are really excited. Again, outside of an ad read, no different than you hear on the radio or any other podcast that that you listen to, uh, we will, um, you know, this show will not change in any way. And again, I will get you all those details in the coming days, weeks, and months. Do not sign up for DraftKings Sportsbook if you want to until you've heard from Torres. But today is not really about trying to tell you about this deal or that deal. That will all come as the football season continues into college basketball, into the NBA, on and on and on and on and on. But again, DraftKings Sportsbook is the official sportsbook of Aaron Torres Media. Really fired up to work with DraftKings. Really excited. They're going to do a lot of cool stuff here in the coming weeks, months, and hopefully years as we continue this relationship. But ultimately, I just want to thank you guys because without you guys, none of this would be possible. Again, I cannot emphasize this enough. When I got on the phone with them, I was blown away. They knew who I was. They knew what this show was about. And they knew the success of this show. And it is thanks to you guys. But with that said, 
let's switch gears. And as we do, let me just say this. Uh, I want to quote a great philosopher. That great philosopher, Mike the Situation from Jersey Shore. And here's why. We got ourselves a situation here, people. And that's this. That situation is, I'm too good at my job. I'm too good at my job. And here's why. It is because the biggest stories coming out of this past Saturday in college football are the stories I already talked about a week ago. The fact that the college football playoff is looking crazy with potential teams that we've never seen in the playoff before. Penn State, Iowa, Cincinnati, BYU, Oregon hasn't been there in forever. Georgia hasn't been there in four years. This ain't going to be the Clemson, Oklahoma, Alabama, Ohio State Invitational this year. Not this year. That's the biggest story coming out of Saturday. The biggest story coming out of Saturday is Clemson's awful. I already talked about that last week. Oklahoma's awful. I already talked about that last week. So instead of just clipping off last week's show, which I could do, could call it an easy day, grab myself a Bloody Mary and relax, I'm just, I, I instead want to switch gears. And I want to talk about a topic that to me I think is really important and frankly maybe even a little bit undercover. And you're going to think I'm crazy when I say what it is. To me, the topic is Notre Dame. And the topic is Brian Kelly specifically. Notre Dame goes to Soldier Field. They beat Wisconsin 41-13. In the process, Brian Kelly becomes the all-time winningest coach in Notre Dame football history, a stat which boggles my mind. And I know this is a, a new era of college football where you play conference championships, playoff games, all that stuff. But the bottom line remains, we all grew up Notre Dame history, era Parsesian. Newt Rockney, and to know that Notre Dame is now with Brian Kelly as the winningest coach, that's insane to me. A guy that we are watching with our own two eyes, Brian Kelly is the winningest coach in, in Notre Dame football history. And so as we start to talk about that game, and as we start to talk about Notre Dame as a whole, let me just say this. I think somehow, after years of being quote-unquote overrated as a program, I actually think Notre Dame is underrated as a program. And I think what Brian Kelly is doing is one of the greatest things in sports that nobody talks about. And you might probably think I'm crazy right now, but let me explain why. First of all, let's start with the game itself. We don't have to spend a ton of time on it. It wasn't the prettiest game. Uh, and I don't even think this is like a great Notre Dame team. I don't think we have to talk about Notre Dame like, oh my God, the playoff. What does it mean? How do they match up with Clemson? Or, like, like, No, I, I don't think they're Alabama or Georgia. But let's give them credit, first of all, for the win. They win 41-13. to Close, low-scoring game for most of it. It was 3-0 Wisconsin after the first quarter. 10-3 Notre Dame at halftime. 10-10 going into the fourth quarter. And then we got 31 points from Notre Dame, thanks to two pick sixes from Graham Mertz, who's just terrible. I've already talked about him. Uh, and also thanks to uh, a kick return for a touchdown from Notre Dame. And so again... I don't think that we need to celebrate Notre Dame beating Wisconsin as though they just beat Alabama and Tuscaloosa, okay? Uh, but I also, by the way, I don't think we should discredit it either. Uh, keep in mind, first of all, Notre Dame lost a ton off last year's team. And I know you could sit there and say, well, dude, Torres, it's week three, it's week four. Like, who cares who you lost off last year's team? Well, that's true. But there's a lot of people that lost a lot of good players that aren't playing like Notre Dame is right now. I think Clemson wouldn't love to trade spots with Notre Dame. I think Ohio State wouldn't love to trade spots in Notre Dame. Can we at least acknowledge Notre Dame has been more impressive than Oklahoma, who's played four home games, needed a last-second field goal against West Virginia, needed a bunch of miracle special teams plays against Nebraska? I mean, we could say Notre Dame, this isn't a vintage Notre Dame team, but considering everything they lost and considering how they look relative to the other teams that lost a ton, 
I do think we got to give him a little bit of credit. And it's not as though they didn't deal with adversity in this game as their starting quarterback, Jack Cohn, goes down. And Drew Pine, should mention a Connecticut kid, nice, humble Connecticut kid, New Canaan, Connecticut, stand up. Drew Pine comes in and wins them the game. And so, again, we don't have to belabor the point. This isn't uh, an incredible win that we'll be telling our grandkids about and Wisconsin's the greatest. No, they're not. And I don't even know much what to make of this Notre Dame team through four weeks. But what I do think is relevant is that Notre Dame came into this game as close to a touchdown underdog, meaning that just about everybody that bet on this game thought that Notre Dame was going to lose and lose convincingly. Instead, they win by 28 points. And why that is important is this. It continues a trend over the last four years that I don't think people realize. If you're not named Alabama, and if you're not named Clemson, Notre Dame's probably going to beat you, okay? Because this program that I have been told for years is quote-unquote overrated, here is their record since the start of the 2018 season. Overall, Notre Dame is 47-5, and dating back to the start of the 2018 season. 47 wins, 5 losses dating back to the 2018 season. The 5 losses, by the way, Clemson in the college football playoff in 2018. Clemson, by the way, beat Alabama worse in the national championship game two weeks later. The following year, 2019, they lost at Georgia. They lost at Michigan. Last year, they lose to Clemson in the ACC championship game, and they lose to Alabama in the college football playoff. So 47-5, and five, dating back to 2018. With the five losses, Clemson in the college football playoff, at Georgia, at Michigan, Clemson on a neutral field, Alabama on a neutral field. If that is overrated, people, if that is overrated, if Notre Dame is overrated right now in the college football landscape, then here's the thing. Everybody in college football is overrated except for Alabama, Clemson, maybe Ohio State and Georgia. There are 125 teams that would love to be overrated the way that Notre Dame is. And I think it's a testament to Brian Kelly, who I believe is also now gone from overrated or at the very least properly rated to underrated. And what's interesting about Notre Dame, I think their trajectory as a program is about as interesting as anything I can ever remember. Because we've seen a lot of different ways to build, maintain, sustain a program in college football. I don't know that we've ever really seen anything quite like what happened, what has happened at Notre Dame over the last 12, 13 years that, Notre, that Brian Kelly has been there. We've seen the coach come in and have immediate success. Nick Saban, Alabama, year two in the SEC championship game. If they win that, they go play for a national championship. Year three, they win the first national championship under Saban. Urban Meyer comes in, Ohio State, year one, Ohio State's undefeated. Not good, they're not eligible to play in the postseason. If they are, they're potentially playing for a national championship. We've seen a coach like Lincoln Riley come in and continue the trajectory under Bob Stoops. We've seen a coach like Ryan Day come in and continue the trajectory that Urban Meyer had set up. But we've never really seen anything quite like Brian Kelly has done at Notre Dame. Comes to Notre Dame in the fall of 2010, that is his first season. 8-5, and 8-5, five, and five, no big deal. Year three, Notre Dame plays for a national championship. We're told it can't be done in this modern era, Notre Dame competing for a national championship. They are in the national championship game. They get destroyed by Alabama. From there, a couple good seasons, a couple bad seasons. Then it bottoms out in 2016 with a 4-8 overall mark. And why it's interesting is because Brian Kelly, to his credit, did some reflection and basically 
stripped down the program, and built it back up. By the way, credit to Notre Dame's administrators for not bailing on him. There was a large contingent of the fan base that wanted him gone. They stuck by him, and he has restructured the program, brought in new coaches, new blood, new this, new that, and here's what they've done since that 4-8 and eight season in 2016. 10-3, and three, and then that, of course, is followed by uh, the 47-5 and five stretch that I continued. So 10-3 and three in 2017, 12-1 and one in 2018, 11-2 and two in 2019, 10-2 and two in 2020, and now 4-0 and oh in 2021. And again, we've just never seen anything quite like it in recent football history where you have the coach that builds it to the top, then it craters, then he builds it back up again, only that's exactly what Brian Kelly has done as Notre Dame is now 4-0. And they're going to be in the top 10 when the new AP poll comes out on Monday. Um, and when I look at Notre Dame and when I see what they've done and when I see the fact that they are now 47-5 and five over the last couple of years, I'm just going to reiterate what I said a minute ago. There is no reason in modern college football that Notre Dame should be as good as it is. I know they were good a million years ago. I know they were good in the 50s, 60s, 70s when our grandparents were watching college football. It ain't 1956 anymore, people, Okay. And I'm just telling you, there is no reason that Notre Dame should be so good, and it's a credit to Brian Kelly. And I know what you're sitting there saying. Well, Torres, they have every advantage going in college football. All right, let's talk about it. Let's talk about every advantage that Notre Dame has in modern college football. You'll, what, what are you going to tell me? Well, uh, they, they have all their games on national TV, thanks to NBC. I mean, they're the only team that has an exclusive contract with a major TV network. But they are far from the only team that plays. You know who plays on national TV every week right now in college football? Uh, literally everybody. I am an alum of UConn. UConn is the worst program in FBS football right now. Every single one of UConn games have been on national TV this year. If I wanted to watch every painstaking minute of all four of their losses, shout out to UConn, they almost beat Wyoming on Saturday. Uh, if I had wanted to watch all, all every minute of all of their painful losses, and it's actually five losses now because they played in week zero, not four, I could have watched every single one. So don't tell me, it's, well, Notre Dame has a national TV contract. Everybody plays on national TV every week. Vanderbilt does. Purdue does. Uh, Washington State does. Everybody plays on that. What advantage is playing on national TV? Well, they have all the resources. They have so much money, they don't even know. They... You know who has money in college football right now? Again, literally everybody. Big Ten teams made over $50 million apiece last year just in TV revenue. So I don't know where everyone gets this. Well, Notre Dame has such an advantage with resources because, well, Purdue made $50 million in football last year just in TV. If they didn't make a dollar off merchandise, ticket sales, parking concessions, they made $50 million. Same with Iowa. Same with all these lousy Big Ten teams. I can't even think of all of them right now off the top of my head. I'm so fired up. Purdue, like I said. Indiana football made $50 million. Minnesota football, P.J. Flex rowing the boat through a pile of cash. Don't tell me Notre Dame makes has, has better resources. Everybody has money in college football right now. I, I heard this too. Well, they recruit nationally. Uh, yeah, so does everybody. Where is Alabama's quarterback from? Bryce Young, he's from Pasadena, five minutes from where I'm recording right now, yelling and screaming. Where's Clemson's quarterback from? DJ? Oh, he's from Southern California. Georgia's top quarterback, JT Daniels from California. Top wide receiver, top receiver, excuse me, from California. Kendall Milton, their third leading rusher from California. So don't tell me Notre Dame recruits nationally, all the great programs do. 
So those are all the things that Notre Dame has. Oh, and they get more TV exposure. They get more exposure in the media. You guys love them. You guys never stop talking about them. Um, at least they win every like, – like, yeah, they get covered a lot. Everybody gets covered a lot in 2021, okay? At least they win. Don't tell me Notre Dame gets covered too much. How do they get covered relative to, I don't know, Texas? Who gets more media exposure than Texas, USC, Miami, Florida State? Notre Dame doesn't get covered any more or less than those teams. At least Notre Dame wins. So don't tell me that they have all these crazy advantages because they don't. But you know what they do have? They have major disadvantages, and they still manage to win at an insane level here in college football in 2021. We just talked about the fact that they basically have no real advantages. Here's the disadvantages. Small Catholic school in the middle of nowhere, okay? And I know we have a lot of actually listeners in Indiana. That's, I think it's the third most listened to pot state on this podcast. Shout out Kentucky, number one. Shout out Tennessee, number two. Shout out Indiana, number three. Most downloads coming from the state of Indiana. I love you guys. I love the Hoosiers. Shout out Mike Woodson. But what I'm telling you, I've driven through South Bend. There ain't much there. It's a small Catholic school. It's a weird setup. Not weird in a bad way, but definitely in a different way. Um, no co-ed dorms, just as an example. That's just an example of what it is. 8,000 undergrads. I mean, you're comparing an 8,000 undergraduate school in 2021, no co-ed dorms, to the University of Alabama, which has 38,000 people. Comparing it to the University of... Texas, which has 51,000 people. So Texas, 51,000 people in Austin. Notre Dame, 8,000 people in South Bend, Indiana. Which one should be better to you on paper? Because to me, it's probably the school in Texas that has all the same resources, all the same money in a beautiful city, talent-rich state, whatever. So small Catholic school. And then when it comes to the recruiting, like I said a minute ago, remember, what did I tell you? Oh, they recruit nationally. Yeah, they recruit nationally. So does everybody. And the pool that they have is so much smaller. And so it's no disrespect to an Alabama. It's no disrespect to a Georgia. It's no disrespect to an Ohio State. But I'm going to take a wild guess. If Nick Saban wants someone to get into school at Alabama, I don't think he has to go to the admissions office and plead their case. I'm pretty sure it's like, coach, rubber stamp this one. He's coming to Bama. Uh, Ryan Day, rubber stamp this one. He's coming to Ohio State. No disrespect to the admissions office there, to the students there, to the alums there. I'm just telling you, Notre Dame's a different deal. Small school, real academic standards. It's hard to get into. The classwork is, is hard once you're there in the middle of nowhere. I'm just telling you, if I can give a 30,000-foot view on everything I've just said, everything I yelled and screamed about over the last five, seven minutes, just think about this. Year is 2021. Not 1974, not 1948. This ain't when World War II when your grandma was, was whatever. This is 2021. And we have a sport where a small Catholic school with 8,000 undergrads in the middle of Indiana is competing on the same level, maybe just a tiny level below Alabama and Clemson and Georgia. And everybody else, they destroy. Destroy North Carolina. Destroy uh, uh, USC. Destroy... Whoever, we should be appreciating this. And that's all I'm saying, and we should be appreciating Brian Kelly because in the modern era of college football, I just don't believe that they should be as good as they are. This is not a situation. This, again, I, I don't want to belabor the point. It's not 1945, whatever. But I have told this story many times, and I'll continue to tell it. 
Last year, uh, college football playoff, they're playing Alabama. And I have family over. It's New Year's Day. I'm getting ready to go do Fox Sports Radio. And I remember sitting on the couch, kind of had the game on, and, you know, family's in, in town, and they're kind of saying, so, like, who do you want to win this game? And I kind of just explained to him exactly what I just said to you guys. I said, I'm kind of rooting for the team with the gold helmets. I'm kind of rooting for the team with the gold helmets because when I look at that team with the gold helmets, they, they're playing the same sport as the team with the, with the crimson helmets on, but they're really not. They can't recruit the same players. They don't have the same advantages. They don't have the same number of recruits right in their own area. I didn't even talk about the fact that Indiana locally produces probably two or three five stars a year compared to Texas or Alabama or Georgia, which produces 10, 15, 20 of them. Maybe not five stars, but high four stars, low four stars, whatever. So I just want to give Brian Kelly a ton of credit. And I know, and, and what some of you will say, and I do think you're right on this, at the end of the day, it is about winning, right? And to quote Herm Edwards, you play to win the game. And so I get that. I get that at the highest level against the best teams, against the truly, 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 truly elite of this sport, Notre Dame has not won. They have not beat Clemson when they're fully healthy. They beat him with Trevor Lawrence. They have not beat Alabama. They have not beat Georgia. But they've been competitive. They've been a player two away. And in this era of college football, I think that's incredible. Whew, what an opening segment of the Air Torres Sports Podcast. This is what I want to do. I want to take a quick break. I want to come back. I do want to talk a little bit about that Arkansas-Texas A&M game because, woo, pig suey, Arkansas is looking really good. Uh, we will come right back and talk about that game. All right, everybody, I am back. Good to be back, good to be back. And I do want to switch gears to the other mega game from Saturday in college football. Obviously, two top 25 matchups. Wisconsin-Notre Dame, who we just talked about. Wisconsin stinks. They are no longer in the top 25. And also, the other big one was Texas A&M playing Arkansas at Jerry World. Before I actually get to that game, though, one other really kind of quick announcement, and that is this. Uh, as part of Aaron Torres Media, the Aaron Torres Podcast, whatever, we have actually started team-specific Twitter pages, okay? So it is a specific Twitter page dedicated specifically to your team and where you get a never-ending stream of content, not only from me, but pertinent to you as a fan. So it's recruiting news, it's videos, it's this, and then it's anything that I do, anything that my staff does relevant to your team. I bring it up because we launched our first one on Saturday. It's called, uh, it's an Arkansas page, not surprisingly, it is called Torres on the Hogs. So if you search Torres on the Hogs on Twitter, uh, you can find that page where basically it is going to be all of my Arkansas content specifically, and then also a bunch of other good stuff that an Arkansas fan will enjoy. I know that does not apply to all of you, but those of you who are Arkansas fans, Torres on the Hogs, it is run by an Arkansas fan, an Arkansas graduate, his name's Jonathan Teal. He does a great job with the page. Uh, so make sure you're following that. And then what I would also say is we are going to launch some other ones here in the coming days and weeks and months. Uh, first off, uh, Kentucky is basically good to go. Torres on UK will be that page. Uh, it will be run by a Kentucky fan. Really excited for him to get going there. Also, in addition to that, uh, we are looking for other people to run some different ones. Uh, obviously, some big ones for me personally would be Tennessee, Indiana, UConn. 
Texas A&M, teams like that. So if you think you're interested, if you're a college student, if you're interested, if you're a fan, you're interested, you can always feel free to reach out to me uh, at Aaron Torres, at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter. Uh, shoot me a DM. We can get you set up. But these are team-specific pages. Uh, Torres on the Hogs launched on Saturday. Torres on UK, which will be a Kentucky page, not a United Kingdom page, uh, is set to launch soon too. So with that said, let's talk about the game itself. And I I guess I can't say that we need to switch gears because switching gears is not an accurate depiction of what we're going to do. We were just talking Arkansas A&M. But let's get to the game itself. Texas A&M and Arkansas, great rivalry. They've played a million times. I mean, I think the exact number is, I don't know, something like 80. But they played a bunch. And this has been a a, a rivalry that has largely been dominated by Texas A&M over the last decade. And so this is a huge game. Both teams come in ranked for the first time in forever. And Arkansas picks up the win. Final score, 20-10. to 10, And shout out to the Hogs and shout out to Sam Pittman as they pick up, Arkansas does, their first win over Texas A&M since 2011. Okay, First win over Texas A&M since before Johnny Manziel had ever played a down of college football at Texas A&M. First win over Texas A&M, how about this, since Texas A&M actually joined the SEC. And again, final score was 20 to 10. And what I would tell you is it's hard for me to give like some amazing analysis of this game because the game itself essentially went how I expected. And so let's get into it. And really to explain that, you really have to go back to Friday's show. And what I told you on Friday's show was pretty simple. I said, look, I don't know if Arkansas is going to win. I don't know if A&M is going to blow them out. But what I do believe is that Arkansas, their strength goes against Texas A&M's weakness. And if Arkansas is able to play the way that they did against Texas, they not only have a chance to compete, but they can win this football game. That strength is, of course, the run game. They came into the game ranked eighth nationally running the football. And when you looked at Texas A&M, there were two things that definitively stood out. One, the offense was really struggling. That's not a knock on Zach Calzada, their quarterback. That's not a knock on Jimbo Fisher. He's not overrated. Texas A&M isn't terrible. But they're in a season where they return a ton of skill position talent, but also lost basically their whole offensive line and lost a four-year starter at quarterback in Kellen Mond. To make things worse, they not only lost their starting quarterback from last year in Kellen Mond, but the guy who won the job, Haynes King, was out for the year. It has limited what they can do offensively. Um, And defensively, while they have elite numbers in certain categories, they actually came in as the number one scoring defense in college football. In other words, nobody had given up fewer points through three weeks in college football than Texas A&M. Their biggest weakness was that they can't stop the run. 86th nationally coming into this game against the run. That was uh, coming off of a game against Colorado where they gave up 171 yards rushing, over 200 yards rushing against Kent State. And so I kind of said, like, look, if Arkansas plays the game that they played against Texas, I like the shot that they have. Arkansas runs the ball really well. They're really physical along the line of scrimmage. Texas A&M has some elite athletes. And that's exactly what Arkansas did. They finished the game with 197 yards rushing, four yards per carry. And look, obviously they were helped quite a bit by the fact that they had two huge plays early in the game um, that obviously led to 14 points, which was the difference in the game. 
early in the late in the first quarter, excuse me, Traylon Burks, 85-yard catch from just uh, KJ Jefferson. I almost called him Justin Jefferson from KJ Jefferson, and then AJ Green, 48-yard touchdown catch from KJ Jefferson early in the second quarter. They pull away to it, the defense's credit. They make enough stops late, and then makes a little bit of a run in the second half. Isaiah Spiller breaks off a big touchdown run, uh, but in the end, Arkansas kicks a field goal. Cam Little nails a big one, and Arkansas ends up winning this game. So ultimately, the game itself did not really go any different than I expected. But here is what I would say my one single takeaway is about this Arkansas football team. Arkansas won this game without playing anything close to their best game. And to me, when you think about who this program is and where they were just two or three years ago, that is incredible to me. Think about what I just said. Arkansas, a team that... Two years ago, three years ago, three years ago, they go 2-10 and 10 overall, 0-8 in the SEC. That was 2018 under Chad Morris. Two years ago, 2019, 0-8 in the SEC. 2-8 and 8 before they fired Chad Morris, they finished 2-10 and 10 overall. A team that went 4-20 and 20 during the 2018 and 2019 seasons. That team just went and played a top 10 team at Jerry World, did not play their best game, and still won in pretty convincing fashion. It is incredible if you think about how far Arkansas has come. And when I talk about the game itself, I think, look, part of why they quote-unquote did not play well, one, they played a really good opponent, right? They did not run the ball on Saturday as well as they traditionally have this season. Um, But part of that is Texas A&M is really, really, really good defensively. But they finished with uh, uh, 197 yards rushing, like I said, four yards per carry, but Ultimately, uh, Texas A&M, I thought, did an actually a pretty good job holding up the run, and they did a good job relative to how I think everybody else will handle Arkansas. We saw Arkansas at their best running the ball against Texas, and I don't think there are many teams, despite what the numbers said, that have the guys up front that are physically equipped to handle Arkansas's running game quite like Texas A&M did. So the fact that Texas A&M Uh, The fact that Arkansas was still able to run for four yards of carry, the fact that they were not as effective on the ground and still found a way to win, that's a big deal to me. On top of that, let's also not forget this. Their starting quarterback, K.J. Jefferson, got hurt in the middle of the game. He did not play for most of the second half. Malik Hornsby comes in. It is very clear that through no fault of his own, Malik Hornsby is a really young player, through no fault of his own, uh, Malik Hornsby, freshman, comes in, and they basically don't let him throw the ball. He threw three passes, completed one pass, but they basically did not let him throw the ball. And so, again, I'm talking about Arkansas here. You talk about a team that we thought had to be elite running the ball during this game. They were not. They had a backup quarterback for most of this game. Defensively, I thought they actually could have been even a little bit better than they were. Gave up over five yards per carry to Texas A&M, including Isaiah Spiller ripping off a big run. Uh, as I said in the third quarter, it was a 67-yard touchdown run. And so I bring it up to say, think about what I just said. Playing a top 10 team, neutral field, team you haven't beat for 10 years, and you don't even play your best game and you still win? Incredible. And it is, as I've said many times, a testament to their head coach, Sam Pittman, who he is, what he's about in the program that he's building. And I talked about Sam Pittman just two weeks ago. I don't want to belabor the point. But when you think about where this program was when he took over, I said it a minute ago, 2-10 in 2018, 2-10 in 2019, 
Fast forward to 2020, last year against an SEC-only schedule, against maybe the toughest regular season schedule in the history of college football. They had to play the entire SEC West on top of Florida, on top of Georgia. Arkansas went 3-7. and seven. They were 3-3 three and three at one point. It was a testament to Sam Pittman. But again, even coming into this year, you kind of said, look how tough this league is. How do you match up? And they're 4-0. They're 4-0, which means that four wins, two wins over ranked opponents. Uh, they are now at number eight in the AP poll. That is as high as they have been since the 2012 season, if I read correctly. Uh, it, it's incredible. It is incredible what this program is doing. It is incredible what this program has done. And you start to look at the schedule. Now they got by Texas A&M, and you start to say, this is where it gets interesting for the Hawks. Now, the schedule is going to get much, much, much tougher, as crazy as it sounds, because they've already beaten two ranked teams. But they do play at Georgia this week. And then following that, they have to play Ole Miss uh, uh, the week after that. So you just come off a monster win over Texas A&M. You then have to follow it up at Georgia at Ole Miss. Then, oh, by the way, no big deal. You go play Arc uh, Auburn, et cetera. So it's not going to be easy. You obviously still have Alabama late in the year, second to last week of the season. So it is not going to be easy going forward. But I also think you talk about a program that was so down for so long that now has two wins over top 25 opponents. And I think in a worst case scenario, with the way LSU is playing, with the fact that Auburn really struggled on Saturday against Georgia State, I think they will get there under Brian Harson. But I don't think they're there yet. And Arkansas gets them at home this year. We could be talking about Arkansas football, a team that just a few years ago was on a 20-game SEC losing streak, or 19-game, 20-game, whatever it was, 18, 19, 20, wherever it was. They lost 16 straight. I know that for a fact in 2018 and 2019. I believe it ended being a 20-game SEC losing streak. Um, this is a team that I think can realistically go 9-3. and three. I mean, depending on what we see from Ole Miss, we still don't really know how Ole Miss, how good Ole Miss is. I mean, is 10-2 and two in the cards? I'm not going to pick them to beat Georgia. I'm not going to pick them to beat Alabama. But could they beat Ole Miss? Should they beat LSU with the way LSU's playing? Should they beat Auburn with the way Auburn's playing? I think so. And so we will see. But to think about this football program going and playing Texas A&M, not playing anywhere close to their best game, and still coming out with a win, it's incredible. And I really do think the sky is the limit for this team and this program under Sam Pittman here in year two. All right, really quickly, I do want to hit on the A&M angle of it, and this is another one. It's tough for me to like really like break this down and give you some amazing analysis because essentially this game went about as I expected it to, and I think is about as most people expected it to. And it's funny because sometimes like I have these big, amazing, original opinions, and then sometimes like in Arkansas-Texas A&M game, it kind of went exactly what I said it was like. I said if Arkansas can run the football, if they can limit mistakes, they're going to they're have a chance to win. They might be the better team. From A&M's perspective, they obviously had to stop the run. Uh, they had to run the ball effectively themselves. And it was going to be whose quarterback made more plays. And I thought K.J. Jefferson, when he was in the game, there's no doubt about it, two 45-plus-yard touchdown passes, K.J. Jefferson was the guy that made more plays when he was in the game. Zach Calzada didn't. It's no disrespect to him. It's no discredit to him. It's no, by the way, discredit to Texas A&M, who just lost to a really good team. But you start to sit there and say, like, like it kind of went how we all thought it was going to go. Um, and if anything, I think the frustrating part of Texas A&M's perspective, you kind of did two things that you needed to do. 
you were able to run the ball. Now, you weren't great. Um, you weren't great, but you did have uh, over five yards per carry in the run game. And you, to a degree, limited Arkansas's run game. Arkansas averaged seven and a half yards per carry against Texas A&M, or against Texas, excuse me. They averaged four on Saturday against Texas A&M. And so the defense did its part. Um, you don't want those broken plays, but the defense did its part. And the offense just didn't deliver. And so I, I hate to say it, but I think this is who Texas A&M is going to be this year. Under 300 yards of total offense, 151 yards passing, 4.2 yards per completion for Zach Calzada. And this is kind of who they are. They have not through four games shown any ability to stretch the field. They have not shown any ability to hit deep balls. They have not shown any ability to really have any type of real passing game. And I know part of it is that they are down to essentially their backup quarterback this year, a guy who was the third string quarterback last year. But it doesn't change the fact that you're dealt, you're, 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 you have to play the, the hand that you're dealt. And right now he's the best quarterback you got. Kellen Mond ain't walking through that door. Haynes King, the guy who started the season, isn't coming back. And you start to sit there and say kind of what we just said about Arkansas, only the opposite. What is the ceiling of this team? Because I think, and this has been a conversation in college football circles for years upon years now, if you're not dynamic offensively, what is the ceiling of your football team? Now, I still think A&M, you know, look, they're 3-1. and one. To their, uh, you know, to their credit, they took care of the teams they were supposed to out of conference. They still have one more out of conference game against uh, Prairie View, so I would hope they would take care of that. Um, and they actually got very lucky with the schedule this year because their their cross division games are against South Carolina and Missouri, two games that should be wins. So you just win those, you should be at six wins right away. But I start to look at the rest of their schedule. Like they play Alabama in two weeks. You're going to make enough stops to slow down Alabama when your pass offense is one. Like, the one thing you can't be against Nick Saban is one-dimensional because he will chew you up and spit you out kind of the way that Bill Belichick chewed up and spit out Zach Wilson last week. Like, you can't be – you got to be dynamic. You got to be able to make plays with your feet and your arm if you're a quarterback. There is a blueprint to beating Alabama, and I don't think A&M has anything close to it this year. On top of that, you start to look around the rest of the division um, – like Ole Miss, like Ole Miss is terrifying. I think Ole Miss can put up points on anybody. You're, you, Ole Miss might give up a lot, but you're probably going to have to score 35, 37, 31 in a best-case scenario to beat them. Is that something Texas A&M could do? Remember, Texas A&M did not play Ole Miss last year because of COVID, so that's something to factor in. Auburn, another team you would think would be a win. I'm just curious to see where they're at by the time that they play in November. And LSU on the last night of the season, you're playing at LSU. Now, the advantage there might be that Coach O might be on the way out because LSU did not look very impressive in their win Saturday at Mississippi State. But I'm just sitting there and saying, like like Texas A&M, I think they got a lot of really nice pieces, but I don't think they're a complete team. And I do think there's kind of a glass ceiling to what they are capable of doing. So we'll keep an eye on Texas A&M. Again, it's no discredit to Zach Calzada. I don't root against people. I'm not saying he's a bad person. But they feel kind of limited to me, and they feel like in a best-case scenario, they're kind of like a 9-3 and three team, maybe 8-4. and four. And for a team that we thought was maybe a fringe playoff contender this year, um, not very good. All right, what I want to do now, take a quick break. I want to come back, wrap up the rest of the day in college football. Obviously, we'll get to Oklahoma looking awful. We'll get to Clemson looking awful. Maybe a little on Nebraska. Those poor Cornhuskers just can't figure out a way to get a victory. We will be back. I'll take one final break. All right, everybody, 
I am back for the final time. Good to be back. Good to be back. And I do just kind of want to wrap with really, uh, frankly, where I started the show, which is that while the Notre Dame stuff is really interesting, while the Oklahoma or the Texas A&M Arkansas stuff is really interesting, the real biggest stories of college football this weekend were Oklahoma's continued struggles and Clemson's continued struggles. And I only bring it up, the only reason I didn't talk about it to lead the show is because I led the show with it last week. Nothing has really changed. Neither of these teams is really good. I think you can certainly include Ohio State in that mix, although Ohio State at least beat the crap out of Akron on Saturday. But let's get into these teams because we can't ignore them, but I'm not going to give them the front end of this show every week just to tell you how much they stink when we know how bad they are. With Oklahoma, you all watch the game Saturday night, primetime, ABC, and they're just not very good right now. They beat West Virginia, final score 16-13, to need a last-second field goal to win the game, but it was bad. It was really bad. As a matter of fact, it was so bad that they were booing Spencer Rattler, the quarterback, and screaming, we want Caleb, we want Caleb, asking for the backup quarterback, Caleb Williams, the number one high school football player in America last year, who is currently Spencer Rattler's backup. With that said, if you watch the game, I don't really know how much you can blame Spencer Rattler. We'll get into him in a minute, but it just continued, Saturday night continued, the fact that this team is not very good. The AP Top 25 came out with a new poll on Sunday. Oklahoma is currently ranked number six in the country behind only Alabama, Georgia, Oregon, Penn State, and Iowa. Does anyone in America think that Oklahoma is the number six ranked team in the country right now? I can tell you for a fact nobody does, including Lincoln Riley. He would tell you if you asked him straight to his face, are you guys a top five, top ten team right now? He'd say, no, we're not playing very well. Here is what Oklahoma's schedule looks like through the first half of the season. They have played four games. All of them have been at home. Now, keep in mind, one of them was uh, against Tulane to open the season. That game was supposed to be in New Orleans, but because of Hurricane Ida, it got moved to Oklahoma. But I bring it up to say they've pl- they haven't even hit the road yet, and they have been one of the most unimpressive teams to me relative to what expectations were coming into the year. Let's take out their second game where they played Western Carolina and beat them 76-0. Here's Oklahoma's resume so far. They beat Tulane opening weekend of the college football season, needed a last-minute stand to hold on against Tulane, gave up almost 400 yards of total offense. That was against Tulane. Worth noting the same Tulane team. I don't think Tulane's a bad team in any way, shape, or form, but they played at Ole Miss last week, and guess what? They gave up 61 points through three quarters against Ole Miss and lost by 40. So don't tell me it was only because uh, Tulane might be better than we expect, Ole Miss beat the crap out of the same Tulane team two weeks later in Oxford. By the way, Tulane also lost on Saturday to UAB to fall to 1-3 overall. That was the first game for Oklahoma. Barely survive. Hold on for dear life. Here is game number two. Beat Western Carolina. I just talked about game number three was Nebraska. We talked about it last week on the show. Needed two missed field goals and a PAT block, which was returned for two points, to win that game. If Nebraska can kick... They win that game 24-23, and Oklahoma has a loss. And then there's Saturday, where they play West Virginia, and as I said, need a last-minute field goal to beat West Virginia. West Virginia, I, I think they're a program heading in the right direction, but they are far from elite. They are far from great in what is Neil Brown's now third year as the head coach. And so when you look at Oklahoma, let's look at that resume. Four wins, all at home. One of them was impressive against an FCS opponent, and that's it. And like I said, 
you know, everybody's crushing Spencer Rattler, and I get it. I think he has been a disappointment. I never have seen the hype and why people have talked about him as a potential top pick. But let's also not blame Spencer Rattler here because if you break it down further, here's what's incredible about this Oklahoma team. Not only can they not move the ball through the air, they can't move the ball on the ground either. So I looked it up. Oklahoma right now is averaging 161 yards on the ground. And let me even backtrack before I even get into the individual stats, okay? So Oklahoma, Lincoln Riley, they run what is called the air raid offense. That's the Mike Leach offense started by Mike Leach, really started by Hal Mummy, Hal Mummy, Mike Leach. They go to Kentucky. Uh, from there, uh, Mike Leach goes to Oklahoma as an offensive coordinator and then, of course, to Texas Tech as a head coach. And the air raid is basically this pass-happy, crazy offense. Well, what has happened over the years, as the offense has evolved, Mike Leach has kind of kept the traditional air raid offense, but over the years, all these other guys have come out with their own variations of it, and Lincoln Riley, who played for Mike Leach, who coached under Mike Leach, has made his own variation, and what separates Lincoln Riley's offense from Mike Leach's offense is that there is a really great run component to it, okay? And so everybody thinks of Oklahoma, this high, fast-paced, uh, you know, pass the ball all over the field offense. Baker Mayfield uh, wins the Heisman. Kyler, or Baker Mayfield, did he win that? He won the Heisman. Uh, Kyler Murray wins the Heisman. Jalen Hurts finishes in the top two for the Heisman. And you think of it as just this pass-happy, quarterback-friendly offense. And I don't think it's unfair to call it that. But what people don't realize is that the running game is an essential component to the air raid, okay? So here is what... The, this offense has done in the run game under Lincoln Riley. 2018, 200, 200, the year of 2018, I'm tripping over my own words here, 247 yards rushing. 2019, they averaged 240 yards rushing. 2020, last year, weird COVID year, their best, cor uh, their best running back is suspended, 179 yards rushing per game. First two years that I mentioned, 2018, 2019, they're ranked in the top 15 nationally in rushing. Last year, they were a little bit lower, about 179 yards per game. This year, their rushing totals are 161 yards per game. But what is deceptive about that is that 277 of their 644 total yards, I know I'm throwing a lot of numbers at you, but nearly half of their rushing yards came against Western Carolina. And so if you just take out the Western Carolina game against an FCS opponent, in FBS games, Oklahoma is averaging 122 yards on the ground, which would be 105th nationally. And that is what stands out to me. Everybody's crushing Spencer Rattler, and he hasn't been Kyler Murray, he hasn't been Jalen Hurts, he hasn't been ba Baker Mayfield. But what nobody realized, they can't run the ball right now. Gets West Virginia, 57 yards rushing in 28 attempts. That is two yards per carry for Oklahoma. And so when I look at Oklahoma, I can't sit here and tell you that I believe that they're magically going to turn around because the front of their jersey says Oklahoma on it. You look at what they are doing right now. You look at the fact that they cannot run the ball against anyone other than FCS opponents. I think this could be really, really, really bad news for Oklahoma. They play this weekend, by the way. At, first of all, they haven't even gone on the road yet. So they haven't even faced a tough road environment. They haven't even faced a, a truly challenging team or opponent. Nebraska is the eighth or ninth best team in the Big Ten at best. Uh, West Virginia is probably the fourth, fifth, sixth team, best team in the Big 12 at best. Well, now Oklahoma, this is where the schedule gets tougher. You go to Kansas State this weekend. 
Now, keep in mind, last last time they went to Kansas State with Jalen Hurts, they lost that game. They lost to Kansas State in Chris Kleiman's first year there. And then, oh, by the way, they lost to Kansas State at home last year. Also worth noting, Kansas State has the number nine rush defense in college football. Even if you survive that, you play Texas the following week. Texas put up 70 yesterday. And Baylor looks good. Iowa State plays real defense. Oklahoma State looks good, etc. And so, again, I talked about it last week. I don't want to belabor the point. But I'm just telling you. Everybody keeps saying, oh, they'll figure it out. They're Oklahoma. Who's going to be? Somebody always beats you. If you're not good enough, if you can't get the job done, if you can't do what you need to do, you're going to get beat. And Oklahoma, I think, is in real trouble potentially starting this weekend at Kansas State. Really quickly, I want to wrap up with the rest of the college football slate from the weekend. First of all, Clemson. I mean, there is literally nothing new for me to tell you about Clemson, except for the fact that after they lost to NC State on Saturday, I think there's a real chance I don't talk about them again on this show for the rest of the season. What am I going to talk about when it comes to Clemson? They're 2-2, two and two, they're awful, and while they're not out of the, the, the ACC playoff picture, they're certainly out of the college football play. So what am I going to talk to you about Clemson about over the next few weeks? How bad they are? We know they're bad. They shouldn't even be ranked. Somehow they're ranked in the top 25. I don't really get it, but I just bring it up to say that when I look at Oklahoma, or when I look at Clemson, like it's over. Like, like this year, it's on to 2022. And the sad thing is they actually have a really good defense. Now, the defense didn't play well last night against NC State, but I think that was more of a byproduct of just being beaten down by being on the field nonstop because their offense can't make plays. The offense somehow continues to get worse. Georgia was maybe the high point. They played Georgia, then they played South Carolina State. Barely beat Georgia Tech. Saturday against NC State, here are the facts on Clemson. Clemson loses 27-21 in overtime, but that's not really the story. Here's the story. Clemson finished the game, are you ready for this, with two overtimes, mind you, 214 yards of total offense, including 111 yards passing, 111 yards passing for DJ Uilagandale, 4.3 yards per completion, did run the ball for 103 yards, 13 penalties on top of it, 111 passing yards, 214 total yards, and I know NC State's a pretty decent football team, But 214 yards, they currently rank 121st nationally in total offense, okay? That is basically equivalent to Vanderbilt. I'm not even kidding. Same basic stats as Vanderbilt. They're also 115th nationally in passing. By the way, Kansas right now has more yards per game than Clemson does. And I don't think you could say Kansas played a tougher schedule because Kansas has played a bunch of FBS teams even if they've lost to a bunch of them. So when I look at Clemson, there's nothing to say. They're not that good right now. DJ Uyla is not that guy. 56% completion percentage, 5.2 yards per carry. Now, I do not know if that is a byproduct of the of the coaching staff just not having any confidence in him um, or if it is he's just not that good. But the bottom line remains is this guy is not performing at the level that Clemson needs him to. And I think there's a real possibility. I think there's a real possibility that this is the last time that we talk about DJ Uyla on this show and Clemson on this show because right now, I don't think they're the best team in the ACC. I don't think they're anything close. So maybe they win the ACC. Maybe they go to a decent bowl game. But when you talk about teams that we're going to be talking about going forward, Alabama's going to be there. Oregon's going to be there. Penn State's going to be there. Iowa maybe. Michigan. Georgia. Arkansas, Ole Miss, Florida, 
BYU, Cincinnati. We go, we go, we go pretty far down the list before we start talking about teams that are relevant the way that I don't think Clemson will be going forward. So Clemson, their season's basically done. There's nothing else to say. They're not very good. Wrap up a uh, couple other just news and notes. Georgia destroyed Vanderbilt. Georgia's probably looked like the best team. Although I think you do have to take it with a grain of salt that their best win is, of course, over Clemson. We thought it was a great Clemson team. Maybe Clemson is just terrible. Uh, but Georgia's awesome. They play Arkansas this weekend. Cannot wait for that game. Two really physical teams. Obviously, Sam Pittman coached at Georgia. Uh, so it's going to be a really fun one there. Florida takes care of Tennessee. Credit Florida. I thought they were going to come out flat. They, I mean, they did early. It was a close game early. But Florida did pull away late. Uh, credit Dan Mullen. I think this is one of the 10 best teams in the country. They have a loss, but it's to Bama at home. You look at Florida, they are playing really good right now. They beat uh, Tennessee 38-14. to Kentucky takes care of South Carolina. I'll say this for Kentucky. How is Clemson, which is 2-2, two and two, two of their three losses to Power 5 teams? They're ranked number 25 in the country. But Kentucky, who's 4-0 with two SEC wins, is not. I don't get it. We'll learn more about Kentucky. They host Florida this weekend and then LSU the following week. And oh, by the way, Georgia after that. So we got a three-game stretch coming up with Kentucky. We are going to learn a ton about them. And then from there, uh, the rest of college football, not out, not much else to say. Oregon survives late. USC got smoked again. USC can't keep playing Keaton Slovis. They got to go to a different direction. And it's interesting. I looked it up. USC... From 2008, from 2002 to 2008 under Pete Carroll, lost one game at the LA Coliseum. It was the famous Stanford game where they were like a 39-point underdog and they won outright under Jim Harbaugh. 2002 to 2008, that's a span of seven seasons. They lost one game. They've lost two in three weeks, USC, and got dominated in both. So this program is a mess. I do believe James Franklin is the favorite to get the job. Uh, if James Franklin and Penn State don't make the playoff, my guess would be James Franklin is the head coach at uh, USC next fall. Finally, Nebraska. I just want to say one quick little spiel on Nebraska. By the way, shout out to my UConn Huskies. Fought hard against Wyoming. Probably should have won. They lose late. Uh, Nebraska. I just want to say I, I feel bad for Nebraska at this point. Nebraska played Oklahoma two weeks ago. Easily could have won that game. Maybe should have won that game. Last week against Michigan, this week against Michigan State, on the road, another ranked team. They were in complete control of this game. They're up 2013 with about three minutes to go. Michigan State forces a punt. Michigan State returns it. Michigan State wins in overtime. I feel bad for Nebraska. I really do believe, listen, we crushed Scott Frost after the Illinois game. I certainly did. You can go back and listen to it. I have the clip on YouTube. I destroyed Scott Frost. But this team is starting to play really well. Now, they have major problems like everybody else. They beat themselves way too much. They have way too many dumb penalties, way too many dumb turnovers, although I will say Adrian Martinez did throw one interception late, but that was more of a byproduct of trying to force it in overtime. But they outgained Michigan State 442. They, they, they basically outgained Michigan State 2-1, to one in a game that they should have won. They're starting to clean up the penalties. I think Nebraska's getting there. They play Northwestern this weekend. From there, they play Michigan. Uh, but outside of that, I think they can win just about, they still have Ohio State and Iowa, but I think they can get to 6-6 six and six and go to a bowl game. But I only bring it up because this team really feels like it is finally starting to turn a corner. Um, and I feel bad. I feel bad for the players. I feel bad for the coaches because you can see them getting better 
They just don't know how to quote-unquote win games. And we see this sometimes in sports. I use a very obscure analogy. Um, I, I'm a UConn basketball fan. Everybody who listens to this podcast knows that. Year two under Dan Hurley. Year one was a disaster. Year three was last year. They make the NCAA tournament. Year two, it was this weird thing where there was about a six, seven, eight game stretch where they played really good teams and every single game they were there right down to the wire. Final finish, final play, comes down to one play and there's a dumb turnover. One play and there's a missed three-pointer. One play and you miss a foul shot, whatever it was. It was like a seven-game stretch. And I kept saying, I said, if UConn can just win one of these games and just prove to themselves that they can win, they're going to get hot and get going. And that's exactly what happened. They beat Memphis late. They beat Houston late. um, And they played great down the stretch. They won something like eight of their last ten games, seven of their last nine, I think it was. And this was the year that COVID canceled the NCAA tournament. But had they played a conference tournament, I believe they would have maybe won their conference and gone to the NCAA tournament. How does that pertain to Nebraska? Unfortunately for Nebraska, this is football. And you only play once a week. But I truly believe this team is on the cusp of getting over the hump. Could have beaten Oklahoma. Could have beaten Michigan State. Didn't beat either of them. And frankly, probably at the very least should have beaten Michigan State. I don't know if they should have beaten Oklahoma, but they could have. Should have beaten Michigan State. And so when I look at this team, I just sit there and say, try to be patient, Cornhuskers fans. This program is turning around. Things are getting better. You're out playing teams. You just got to finish. I do believe at some point it will happen. I just don't know when. I do feel bad for Nebraska, though. They were the better team on Saturday against Michigan State. All right, I think I'm going to get out of here with that. Uh, This was the complete episode of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, episode whatever it was, 432. Want to thank you guys for your support. And again, really excited to make the announcements that I have. Uh, DraftKings is our official sports uh, betting sponsor. And then also, as I mentioned, we are starting uh, team-specific Twitter pages, so really fired up about that. Torres on the Hogs is the first one. We will have Torres on UK, which is coming up. That's obviously going to be a Kentucky page. So if you are a fan of either of those teams, make sure to uh, follow those pages. And like I said, if you're an LSU fan, if you're a Tennessee fan, if you're somebody that thinks you would be good at running something like that, let me know. We can get you set up. You can help out. But with that said, I want to get out of here. Make sure you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, iTunes, the Podcast Addict app. Podbean, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, wherever you listen to podcasts, Amazon Music, Google Music, make sure to subscribe. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, all that good stuff. Make sure you are following on social media at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. And just in general, if you got anything for me, let me know. With that said, it's time to get out of here. Shout out to Tor Craig. Shout out to Rachel who hates my voice. And I will be back later this week with more of the Aaron Tor Sports Podcast. Hello, it is Ryan. And I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me. And you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.